1 Corinthians 9, this is our third study in the ninth chapter. If you're visiting with us, there are sermon notes in the bulletin. This is a text, a chapter, that we're dealing with liberty, okay? And we're going to be primarily in verses 16, 17, and 18. But we've been dealing with the concept of liberty, and we have said that chapters 8, 9, and 10 deal with this subject matter. And as we begin to see 8, 9, and 10, wow, it becomes really clear to us this is a deep subject. This is a subject that has great breadth, and it's important that you see this as a unit and that you understand the Apostle Paul, as he's working through this book and he's attacking the Corinthians' questions and he's attacking their pride, because remember, this book deals with a lot of pride. The, the, the fact that the church at Corinth in Greece was a prideful people, and he's trying to correct their thinking. And as we came into chapter 8, he starts talking about liberty. And if you look at verse 9, I keep bringing you back to verse 9. He says, but take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. And there's the concept, liberty. Liberty is the freedom to do what you want to do. And when you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you come to faith. You believe that Jesus is God and man, and he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. You recognize that the penalty could not be paid. You know, when I go door to door and we talk to people, we present the gospel, a lot of times people think, I'm doing the best I can. Even yesterday we went door to door. People, I'm doing the best I can. I'm, I'm trying my hardest. I got to tell you, when you're truly a believer in Jesus Christ, you come to the realization, I'm not good enough. I can't do it because I can't fix the penalty because the penalty isn't a function of effort. It's a function of coming to the realization What's asked is my life. The wages of sin is death, the scripture says. So that when you realize, oh, what do I have to do? You have to die. (laughs) Wait a second, I don't want to die. I don't want to come to that place on a physical standpoint as well as a spiritual standpoint and die. Then you realize, oh my, I have to turn to Jesus to recognize that he'll pay the debt that I owe. Physically as well as spiritually, and he paid it. And when you believe that, he was God who came to earth as a man, and you place your faith in him, trusting that his resurrection was evidence that the payment was paid, you become born again. And it's a a spiritual transformation that takes place. And that transformation is so solid, so irreversible, that you are set for eternity, Not only for life, but for eternity. And because you have that set reality, you now have liberty. Because it's not what I do or what I don't do. I'm not going to like, oh, I'm going to drink a little alcohol this afternoon and maybe I get a little tipsy and wake up in the morning. I'm not a believer. It's not going to happen. I just arbitrarily took one sin. You take whatever sin you want. You're not going to lose your salvation. And also, at the same time, God is going to allow us to not be robots and not every moment of our time, our day, is programmed. You have a lot of liberty. And so that's why this is such a very, very important subject. And as we went through, start going through this subject, the key concept is this word sacrifice. 
Because what God wants you to realize is, is, yes, you have this security. You have this liberty that you can choose your day. You can choose your activity. But what he wants you to understand is use it wisely. And this is what I'm trying to get you guys to grasp and you to understand. And so chapter 8 dealt with not trampling on the weaker brother. The weaker brother in chapter 8 was one who thought meat sacrificed to idols was somehow going to get inside you and all of a sudden the demons were going to be inside you and you were all of a sudden going to become demonized or somehow you were going to be part of the worship for the idols and therefore when they saw anybody else eating meat sacrificed to idols they thought it was happening to them and the true believer says no it's just meat but god wanted you with your liberty to be the stronger one and say all right I won't eat two. Well, if you're hungry and you really would like a nice steak dinner and, you know, it's steak versus maybe an avocado or something like that, you know, wait, wait, I want the steak. I want something good. But God says sacrifice for the weaker brother. And all of a sudden it becomes, as we went through a whole series of activities that that could be applicable to, we talked about meat sacrifice to idols, and like today could be applicable to restaurants. Do I go to a Chinese restaurant? Do I go to a Thai restaurant? You know, I go to a Chinese restaurant and it's got little Buddhas in it and so-and-so is offended. So what do I do? Well, maybe I don't go. And then we talked about activities like playing cards or dancing, things like that where someone could be offended. Now, we didn't say you'd have to do it always for life, but at least be aware that you don't want to take somebody who is a weaker brother into that. And you say, well, hey, they're trampling on me. I'm losing my freedoms. I want to do these things. That's why it's sacrifice. That's why it's called a sacrifice. You give up something that is of value to you. And as we go into chapter 9, this is what's been blowing me away. Because we got into this last week, and if you weren't here last week, we said that the, 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 as the Apostle Paul begins to work through this, this concept, it, becomes very, it became very evident to me that he's re- going deeper. And the reality of it is, is he hits, I believe, the things, broad spectrum, that we could talk about our entire lives, the time, the talent, and the treasures we have. And we talked about the time. It's your choice how you use your time. But God wants you to sometimes to sacrifice time. And, and, you know, I'm trying to let you know, 168 hours in a week, I mean, you will, I believe, be so thankful, let's put it in a positive way, that you gave time to God. You gave a lifetime to God. And then when you have your talents and your abilities, and you can say, well, I could use this all for me. And you give it to God. And you use your talents and your abilities for God. You will never regret it. And you take your treasure, okay? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And you use it for God. That is what you will never regret. Because we said all of this, your, how you use your time, just like a person goes and they work and they spend their time at work and then they get compensation for it. And you use your talents and the more talent you use, 
um, you, the more compensation you get. And, and the reality of it is, all of that is, is that God sees all this. And God is storing this up for you. And that's the illustration I use for you. You're not wasting it and it's all going for naught. The people that are working and working all their lives. And I tell you, one of the greatest things I ever saw in my life was this concept and this understanding. You can go into books like Ecclesiastes and you can go into, oh, one of the Proverbs I read. Oh, I, yeah, I think, well, Proverb I read this week. No, a Psalm, a Psalm I read. Like Psalm 49. These people, they, 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 you, you build up your entire life. And, you know, I work so hard to build up a city or build up a business. And, you know, what happens when you get older? You die. And then somebody else gets the business. Somebody else gets to control of the city. Somebody else gets all that stuff. Well, when you're working for God and all the things that you're building and all the things that you're working for, when you get to heaven, guess what? Somehow, someway, you're going to be rewarded and it's all going to be there for you. The, the people, what I saw, when I saw as a young man, as the Lord was allowing me to recognize, what am I going to do with my life? I very early on said, Oh my goodness, I know all these people who are very wealthy, these people who are millionaires, these people who have achieved a lot of things, and they have, were significant, and God let me rub elbows with them. But then I saw to myself, oh my goodness, they're going to die, and everything that they have built is going to go for naught. Not for them, they don't take it with them. And so your time, your talent, your treasures, and you waste it on your pleasures you end up thinking to yourself, when you come to the end, I've wasted my life. And so Paul's sacrifice is for heavenly ward. If you got your sermon notes, we're down to 3B. As we're working through this, we've said that Paul has given this, he's, this chapter breaks out into two sections, his personal example and then his methodology of which he lives. And so look at verses 16 and 18. And he says, For I, if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if I, if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Now, if you're visiting with us and your first time here and you, or you weren't with our previous studies, the Apostle Paul, in talking about liberty, wants to give us one of the greatest examples in all of Scripture. He wants us to understand that he is giving up, sacrificing his payment as he goes from city to city from the people that he's working for. And he goes into incredible detail in verses 1 to 15, 1 to 14, really, about why people deserve to be paid. And we use the illustration of the forest and the trees, again, emphasizing that last week, and I won't, don't have a slide for it, but the idea is that we need to understand, as the Apostle Paul begins in verse 1, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? And, and he goes on to basically talk about the fact that he has his rights. He deserves to be paid. And other people have been paid, and the Old Testament teaches that it should be paid, and Jesus himself taught that spiritual people need to be paid. But Paul was in a unique situation, 
And he was somebody that was called as an apostle. We recognize from the book of Acts, chapter 9 and chapter 22, Paul was a Pharisee who hated God, even though he was a religious person. He was somebody that was against Jesus, and he was killing Christians. And this is why I believe Paul calls himself the worst, Christ, the worst sinner of all time. He had all this knowledge of God, but he, had, he was killing Christians. He was somebody who was against God. But chapters 9 and 22 talk about his conversion. And God brings him to the point where he now has to, sh- to be he's saved and he is going to be an apostle. It's very important. When you look at that word apostle in verse 1, that you understand that it was a unique position. We know, and I'm not going to, for sake of time, not going to go there, but we know from 1 Corinthians 15 that Paul was the last person to see the risen Christ. And we know from Acts chapter 1, to be an apostle, you had to see the risen Christ. Why? It was because Jesus was saying, you're an apostle. You're an apostle. It wasn't just to see the risen Christ. There were a lot of people from Acts chapter 1 that had seen the risen Christ. But when Christ came and said, you have to be an apostle. I need you to go out and I need you to sacrifice your life with an incredible commitment. That's what God told Paul. All right? Paul was unique. And I think that's unique for this sacrifice. Now, other people can make it and we'll talk about it. We'll go deeper. But when we understand Paul has gone over the top in verses 1 to 14, going all these reasons why he should be paid. But then in verse 15, he says, I have used none of that. You look at that. I've used none of these reasons. I've used none of these reasons. Why? We're gonna, we said last week because he wanted to give an offering to God. And, and we compared it. We've compared it to the fact that what the Apostle Paul is doing is storing up his treasures in heaven. And, it, and I put the you know, cute little piggy bank. Here's that verse. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where, thie- where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And for you who are believers, you need to recognize God is trying to get us to have it there for us. And I used the illustration last week about the ice cream, and I'm going to use it again later. But the idea, if I had ice cream, and and it was a hot day, and I was holding on to it, and I kept it with me wherever I went, instead of putting it somewhere in a freezer, it would melt, and it wouldn't be there. This isn't a manipulative passage. So that I'm out here trying to get you to use your time, talents, and treasures and turn you into slaves for the Christian Fellowship Church. I, I don't want to be manipulative. And last week I used the illustrations of the lottery and how the lottery is a tax on poor people and manipulation. And I can't believe this week, if you all saw the newspaper this morning, I guess the lottery is up to $1.2 billion. Billion. And the articles I read online this morning is that the reason the lotteries are getting bigger is because they've made it harder to win. Okay? And, and it's like, used to be like one in 295 million, 
to win. Now it's one in 320 million to win. And here's a good illustration, because like those numbers seem like absolutely over your top. And I, as I read the article this morning, I thought it was really, really interesting. A good way for you to show this to somebody is take a quarter and flip it 29 times. And if all 29 times come up heads, that is one in 320 million. Okay? 29 in a row. So you, when you go to the go and you see the people all lined up to buy lottery tickets and say, listen, here's your chance. Well, if this goes up 29 times in a row, then you've got a good chance of winning. And, you know, they'll say, that's crazy. Then, then all you're doing is giving your money, you know, to nothing. People are living for that. My, my point is, is that God, these aren't verse, these are verses that are trying to get you to think ahead. Think ahead. That's what I tried to do as a young man. Think ahead. Think ahead. And so we l- talked about David's liberty last week in giving. I, I don't know if any of you went back to 1 Samuel chapter 24 and looked at that passage, but here's a picture of the thresh, threshing floor of, of I want to say his name, Arana. And, and this man, remember, was going to sell this to David and David, oh, give it to David. And David said, no, I want to buy because I don't want to give anything that costs nothing to the Lord. And, and this is sort of the idea of where the apostle Paul is in our text. He, he's, he is somebody that is trying to get us to understand this concept that he wanted to give something voluntarily to God for heavenly reward. And I put the picture of the crown because so often we talk about the crowns and there's like five, six verses with crowns. I don't know exactly how all of the rewards will actually be distributed to you, but God keeps talking about them, so therefore he wants you to, sh- to choose for them. But here's the thing, which way will you choose? I don't know if you can see it real well, because you have Christian liberty, and how you spend your time, your talent, your treasure is up to you. So let's look at what the Apostle Paul do- does. Verse 16, he says, For if I preach the gospel, I have, I, I have nothing to boast about, for I am under compulsion. Well, what do you mean you're under compulsion? Compulsion is like, you know, when you absolutely have to do something. You know, we tell your kids, look, you're not going outside until that bed is made. I don't care what you do, what, you know, and, and you have the authority and you have the power to enforce that over your children, right? And, and the idea of compulsion, if your boss says, look, you're staying late tonight or you lose your job, right? That's the force. The idea here, when you think, what do you mean, Paul, you're under compulsion? We've got to recognize Paul was told, you have to do this. This was like not an option for Paul. We need you to be an apostle. Our God says, I need you to be an apostle. So uh, this is where, in some aspects, this becomes unique because we don't have apostles today. We don't have Jesus coming to us today and saying, you know, um, listen, as much as you might think things, you know, are sometimes working out and God is speaking to you, God speaks through the scriptures and he works through life events, absolutely. But it's not ever going to be the same where God is coming to us like the Apostle Paul and saying, I need you to preach. This, this is unique to Paul. He was under compulsion. For woe to me, verse 16 says, if I do not preach the gospel. Because, again, an apostle had to see the risen Christ. And God is saying to him, you've got to do this. So Paul knew that he needed to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Man's a sinner. Jesus is God and man. Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. 
faith alone you receive this. Paul was preaching this everywhere. That's the gospel, the good news. Verse 17, for if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. Well, okay, here he gets into just the principle. If I do it something voluntarily, I've got a reward in the sense like, you know, if um, you come home and, and your kid, you know, he's got chores, but he decides to do above and beyond. Wow, it's maybe something you might say, you know, I'll, I'll commend you for it. Or maybe here's um, an extra five bucks. But if they just do what they're supposed to do, maybe you get an allowance or maybe you just say, hey, you're, you're living in our house and this is what you have to do. Right. But it's sort of the idea here where the Apostle Paul says, if I go above and beyond, if I do this voluntarily, there's a sense of reward for me. And so verse 18, what then is my reward? Wait a second. What do you mean your reward? Well, how am I going to be compensated for this? Because I've decided in my case, the Apostle Paul is saying that I recognize that God has given me this job and I'm going to be paid for it. Because we've already seen as he's worked through this chapter that apostles could be paid. And, and so much so, where is it? Um, verse 6, um, look at verse 6. Or do, not, do Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? And I, and I don't know if you catch that. Well, me, you and Barnabas, and if Bar, you know, Barnabas was with Paul, and Paul was the apostle, and if Barnabas was helping him out, they both decided not to be paid. When Paul is talking about this, he's talking about all the other apostles. So the other apostles were all decided that they were going to be paid. They were getting payment. But Paul says, thought more so than the others, and he thought ahead, and he said, I'm not going to get paid. Because I want the reward. And so, verse 18, what then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Well, then what are you just saying, that Paul, that you just want to have the bragging rights? And I don't think, in essence, that is it. I think for the Apostle Paul is he recognizes that as he went from town to town, if he went into Corinth and demanded they pay him, as one who was spreading the gospel for the first time, that they might think, well, the only reason you're doing this is for money. And so the apostle Paul says, I don't want that accusation. I don't want anyone to think that. I want to be able to win more people. And we know that from the context because he's going to say in verse 19, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all that I may win more. And we're going to get into the methodology section in our next study. But what, where this is, I just want you to see where this is going. Paul is doing this, I believe, for the reputation that he's not someone that's manipulative trying to just get money off of people. He wants to win people for the Lord. And he has thought this through, and he thinks this is going to be far more effective. As we go through and we look through, um, as he'll elaborate this, if you jump down to like verse 24... When he says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, 
but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do this to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. A crown. There, there it is. An imperishable. Something that won't fade away. Some type of blessing. Some type of reward that is going to be there eternally. So I believe bringing this all together, when Paul talks about his reward, it is very much so the earthly reputation that impacts people on earth that has an impact for all eternity. You know, long, ever since I've been a believer, I've heard that, you know, you can't take things with you, but what you can take with you is people. And I think that's what Paul is saying. And we're going to get into that next week. This whole concept of to the Jews, I became a Jew, to those who are under the law. All of this is his methodology we're going to get into so that he can reach people. Paul wants to reach people. Now, you're not the same where you're, you have to necessarily sacrifice being paid. Um, maybe, maybe for some of our missionaries, they can be in a very similar situation. They can say, I'm, I'm like the Apostle Paul. I'm going to an area, and I don't want to have my money come from these people for at least a long time because I don't want them to think I just moved into this area just to manipulate them. And so one of the reasons missions is so important here at our church is we realize that some of our missionaries have done that and we want to be able to support them. We want to be able to have them not be accused of being money grabbers. And so... The Apostle Paul makes a choice to sacrifice his liberty. Now, I wanted to bring this up about two faithful men. You see, as I look at this and I say to myself, well, you know, this, is, you know, this was really hard what the Apostle Paul did. What the Apostle Paul did was work basically two jobs because he ended up being somebody that was ministering all the time And then he went, and we believe he was a tent maker. It didn't mean that all the times that the Apostle Paul didn't, he never took money. We've got a passage, I think it's in, oh, I've got my notes here, that, yeah, in Philippians chapter 4, I want you to listen to this, Philippians 4, 15 to 18, and he says, you Philippians know, the Apostle Paul was writing them, that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphrodite the gifts you, you, you gave me, basically. So uh, Philippians 4, the Apostle Paul did at times take money, but he, what, he wasn't trying to go into an area to just manipulate him. So he must have come to the realization the Philippians had developed themselves, they were mature enough, and it was a time now that they could give him support. For Paul, the new areas, being in Corinth, that's where he was. He was at, okay, I'm just at a point where I will push myself, I'll work two jobs, I'll make a sacrifice. And you say to yourself, you know, when you bring this application to yourself, I don't know what situation with your time, your talent, your treasures, where you're going to have to make some type of sacrifice, where you're going to have to make some type of giving to God. And 
I was challenged with this this week, and, and, I, and I thought to myself, you know, I want people to understand every one of us has a different path, a different journey. So all of a sudden, you could find yourself in your life saying, you know, here I am. I'm at this church, and, and I, I've got to sacrifice more of my time. If I was at a bigger church or a different type of church, I wouldn't have to give all this time. Or if, if here we're at a church and, you know, we're sacrificing and, and, and they need me to keep giving my talents in this. And, boy, I just never seem to get a rest. Where if I was at this other church, there's other people and they could give me a rest. But me, here I don't get a rest. And, you know, the church is under pressure here, and, and therefore I need to sacrifice more, and, and therefore it is, you know, always on me. I feel like, you know, the church has always got this pressure, and it's a, not a big church, and therefore the sacrifice is even bigger. For me, because if I was in a big church, the, the, the needs would be far wider spread, and I wouldn't have to give as much, because the other people would be giving. And what I want you to understand, I don't know where and how you know, God works with everyone, but here are two different people. In the Bible, there's this man named Enoch, and there's a man named Job. And I want you to always remember this. As, this may not always be preached by churches and pastors. Enoch and Job had two things that they were similar by. Both people were like wonderfully approved by God. It's so critical that you see this. From Hebrews 11.5, Enoch was somebody that was pleasing to God. Job, from Job 1.8, was someone, there was no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Both guys, wonderful guys. Both men were absolutely wonderful people before God but they ended up with two different lives Enoch Hebrews 11 as well as I think Genesis 5 tells us this story too he was not found because God took him up Enoch was one of the two people we know in scripture that did not die I'm all for that I don't know about you you know I don't want to who wants to go through physical death I've known too many people, just God let me die in my sleep. I don't know what death is going to be like. I don't know what kind of pain it is. You know, working with some of these hospice workers lately, I know that that's a common question. What am I going to feel like? What's it going to go? What am I going to go through? The people who are dying. Enoch, wonderful. You please God. You don't have to die. Wow. Job, you please God. We're going to take you through the worst experience that a human being has ever had. Job, like, what did I do? Will you please God? Job, you, you have to lose your health. You have to lose all your wealth. You have to watch your children die. There's a movie out right now. A friend of mine said, go watch it. And he goes, you'll understand what it's all about and how it relates to me in the first five minutes. In the first five minutes, I won't tell you this movie because I don't want to ruin it for you. But the movie deals with death of a child. And that's the whole theme. It's a surprise. It's kind of an interesting twist. And, and you guys understand, 
Job pleased God and got to watch all of his children die. Like, why me, God? Well, because you pleased me. (laughs) No, wait, wait, no. Shouldn't it be the other way? Shouldn't it be because you were a jerk to me? Wasn't it because you were unfaithful? Um, God, you know, because I know, like, you know, you saw the thing I did today. You saw I said or did something. And I know that I got this, this, this bad consequence come to me. You know? Surely that's, that's why, that's how you work. It's karma, right? No, karma's a lie from the pit, people. God doesn't work that way. God is a God of grace, God of blessing. But Job was somebody that was fearing God, turning away from evil. Oh, let me turn you over to Satan so that your life could be absolutely destroyed. Watch all your kids leave. Watch your health go. Watch all your finances go. Now, we know Job got it all back at the end, but listen, I listened to a pastor this morning. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll listen to messages, and I just like got so angry because the pastor was talking about, oh, God does the things of the impossible. Sometimes God lets people die. Sometimes people never get better. Sometimes people get killed like Stephen did. And you sit there and you say, you know, I wish that everything turned out the way it was. Now, how does this all come back to you? You know, this is it. They took the, there's a group, my pay, my say. Paul was, he deserved to get paid, but he refused it. Verse 15, I'll do nothing. I don't want this. Paul could have said, you know, look at my situation. You know, however you called me, whatever you put me in, I, I could have been someone that I, I worked hard and I got paid. But for his unique situation, being the apostle in the situation he was, Paul said, I think for my sake, the best thing for me to do, and I want the eternal reward, I want to impact more people, I, I want people to understand how I'm living my life, I want to be different. And so therefore, with his time, his talent, his treasure, he refused it. So this is where it is for you. Like, how has a passage like this come out to you? Because I'm trying to get you to understand the very same things apply to you as we talk about liberty. When we talk about liberty, the fact that, you know, there's going to be situations where you give up your time, your talent, and your treasure. And you do things in a non-manipulative way. And you do it in a sense that you want, you, you recognize that you could gain a lot that you deserve, but you're going to give it up for the impact of the gospel, impact for heavenly rewards. You know, you can talk about an individual. I just want to encourage you, like our church, you know, we have this clothing outlet. We've done it for like 20 plus years. And when I look at our clothing outlet, and we have a lot of women, a lot of men, but a lot of the women who work so hard at this, and it is a very hard work. And when we started off on 9 o'clock on Friday mornings, we get up and either myself, Bob, and Ramirez, or Alex Mendoza's helped me out, and others have helped me, Henry's helped me. We've given the gospel. One of the things I always like to say is just like all these clothes are free, the gospel is free. And, and I emphasize that over and over. And we've done it with the, whether it's been the Children's Hunger Fund or we've done school supplies where we could, you know, charge. We could charge a dollar for everybody who comes through our clothing outlet. Somebody came to me recently and said, listen, you know, there's 
ministries like this in the area, and you know they, they, they bring in $300,000 a year. They bring in half a million. You know, that would, that would solve all of your church's financial problems. <laughs> Pastor, you'd get more money. Right? You'd all give it. That's a joke. No, it's not. No, and in some sense it isn't because the reality of it is it would be something where it would make life so much easier for us. But I believe, at least while I'm doing this, I can always say, just like this gospel is, these clothes are free, this gospel is free. All right? And, and, and I know that, you know, with your time, your talent, your treasures, however God's going to use you, I don't know what the path and why you've got different sacrifices, different things to give. Some people are on Job's path, some people are on Enoch's path. You're, you're just going to have different things. But what I want you to recognize and what we're taking this is this is the picture of the melted ice cream. You can't hold on to it. And so I came up with that illustration, and you think about the reality of it, it's so applicable. Like, you know, you've got your, like, if you had an invite to a party, and it was a Saturday party, and everybody is there from, you know, whatever organization, whatever, you know, whoever's at this party, and you bring ice cream. So everybody says, bring something, but you, it's a hot summer day, and you've decided that you wanted to go out and get the, one of the best ice creams possible. And, you, you know, it's like better than that Ben and Jerry's or whatever. It's like the expensive of the expensive. And as you're dealing with people at the party, you want everybody to know that you brought this expensive ice cream. And so when the host says, will you please, you know, let's put that ice cream in the fridge. And you say, no, I just want to hold my ice cream. Because I'm talking to you, and I'm talking to you, and I'm talking to you. And I want everyone to say, oh my goodness, you brought that ice cream? Yeah, but, you know, the ice cream's for, the, for after dinner. You know, dinner's in a couple hours. But I brought that expensive ice cream. Well, you know what's going to happen. It's going to melt. If you hold on to something, sometimes you just put it, the illustration as far as you can go. It melts. If you use your time, your talent, your treasure just for yourself, and then after a while you start to get bitter because you've used your time, your talent, your treasure, and you've and 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 and, and you've maybe you've tried to give it away or use it for God, and it just hasn't worked out for you, and now you're realizing, oh, boy, I'm just going to keep pulling back. I'm going to tell you, the more you come back and you try to hold on to it, it's all going to melt. But if you store it for later. Here's the passage. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys. Jesus isn't trying to take away your ice cream. He isn't trying to say, I just want your time, your talent, and treasures for me. I mean, for, for, to, to waste them. He wants them for you when you get to heaven. And you're going to realize, oh my goodness, was I thinking ahead. Boy, did I use my life right? I'm telling you, you know, this past, these past two years have been interesting for me. And I'll, I'll use this illustration because it's true for me. I, I'm, I turned 57 this year. When I was a CPA, the mandatory retirement age was 58. 57, 58. I'd be one year. You know, my managing partner made at 1985, 1988, he was making five, six million dollars a year. 
I'm thinking to myself, I'm, thir- uh, uh, I'm five years away from making a million dollars a year. At age 30, I would have had the last 38, 40 years of being living incredible wealth. Do you understand? I regularly went to the top buildings and, and, and ate at the finest restaurants. And I tried to tell my son the other day when they were recruiting me and they took me out to lunch and they brought us dinner under glass. Here, I grew up lower income and here I'm at, at this meal and they're wheeling it out and they're taking it off under glass and thinking oh my goodness and then it and then it just didn't stop there it wasn't just through recruiting because then i had the opportunity to go to plays and go to thing events and and to charge it off and to to say that i was taking my wife or my girlfriend at that time becky and 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 to have all this and and yet what i saw over and over and over was these people were getting to age 58 and 59 and 60 and they were retiring. And yeah, they were wealthy, but then they were going to die and they would have nothing. Because when God gave me that realization, it came to very clear that they had wasted their life. They had worked to, to this. And so now as I'm at 58, I'm sitting there saying, boy, I should have millions of dollars in the bank. Boy, I wish I had this great retirement plan because we had an incredible retirement plan. I'm sitting there saying, Oh my goodness, you've chose right. That's what I'm trying to get you to understand. Choose right. Don't get bitter about sacrificing your time, your talents, your treasures. Because everything given to the Lord is saved for you. Jesus isn't trying to be hurtful to you. He's trying to get you to think ahead. And the world doesn't think ahead. The world only thinks about the short term. And even in their stupidity, I mean, every time I see these retirement commercials, you know, choose our investment company, choose this investment company so that you retire, you know, right. Well, the reality is if you're 65 and you, even if you were so blessed to live to 75, that's 10 years, 10 years, 10 years goes just like that. Most people tell me when they get into retirement how they struggle with their health. You know, you wish that you had all the money that you have at 65 when you were 20 so you could go and do things. Becky was telling me, we were talking about her mom and just how when her and her father could have traveled all over the world and done a lot of great things for just themselves that her health had been gone and she couldn't do that. Why? I watched that all the time. I had a man stand right there. 20 years ago at my ordination and he told me he was in the ministry and his wife invested their money and they had gotten like over a million dollars in retirement. Wow. And then she died and he died within two years. And I thought to myself, it doesn't matter. You know, if you live for this retirement in this world, it all goes away. I'm just trying to get you to be encouraged to think about, you know, when we say, oh, you know, you look, oh, it's so nice, the Apostle Paul, you made this sacrifice. Paul has given us this example so that we understand that we need to be living sacrifices. We need to remember Jesus gave up his We need to remember that Jesus was blessed because in the end, he got to be king of kings, lord of lords, right? We're not going to be king of kings, lord of lords. But whatever we store up for us, ourselves in, tre- in heaven is going to be there for you. 
And so each of you are different. As believers, you know God loves you. Some people will go through more trials like Job did. You will. I can't help it. I don't know why God has chosen that for you, but maybe you've got the strength to be the testimony. Some people get Enoch's life in the sense of how it ended. It's a lot easier, right? We all know that. But no matter where you're at, you can be like David and say, I will not give to the Lord that which cost me nothing. The Apostle Paul made his choice, and to make a choice like this, you have to be aware of your situation. What are you going through? Some people say, I have no opportunities. Well, you all have different times, talents, and treasures, and God knows what time, talent, and treasure. We'll use that illustration next week. That's what I wanted to go with next week. We'll go into that parable. Each one of you have different challenges before you, but as a believer, you have liberty From a human perspective, you have choice. And I hope that you use it wisely. Now, the only people who get blessed in the end are people who are believers in Jesus Christ, people who have come to faith. And that's what I'm hoping that all of you do. If you're not a believer, turn to Jesus Christ because the sin is weighing on you, convicting you from the Spirit of God. If he's doing that at this time, It's to turn you to come to the end of yourself and say, I need help. I need Jesus. Would you do that now? Let's pray. Father, how I pray, Lord, for all of us to walk in faith, but perhaps there's somebody here who has never turned to Jesus. They've never given their life to Jesus Christ. Maybe they have just always felt that they could do better. Please, God, help them come to the end of themselves. And if that's you, please believe. Turn to Jesus and say, I need you. I can't do this on my own. How I pray, Lord, then as believers, that this is a congregation that each person here recognizes the time, the talents, and treasures they have. Maybe somebody has a financial situation and they're working 20 hours a day and they can only pray 10 minutes a day. But maybe somebody else is in a position where they've got four hours a day to pray. You know. You know how that four minutes could be the greater sacrifice. Why the widow's might was a greater sacrifice. But I just pray, God, that everyone has the foresight to think ahead here. In Jesus' name, amen.